take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Rabbit. Once the pandemic hit, I think a lot of us kind of clutched on this, you know, streaming. We were streaming music, you know, Zoom became a big thing, uh, Netflix, uh, getting sports, all that type of stuff. Um, and I'm really Excited to welcome my next guest, Dr. Laura Mark. She's a professor at Simon Fraser University and the founder of the Small File Media Festival. First of all, Laura, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Um, you're in a very particular, fascinating area of study. Um, and we'll get to the Small File Media Festival and what that means. But why don't you kind of bring us up to speed with some of the work you've been doing lately that led into this this festival. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a film and media scholar, and um, I started to become concerned a few years ago when people were starting streaming. Um, and I, my first thought was, you know, isn't that going to use a lot of electricity? Um, and uh, I started reading some reports from Greenpeace, uh, where Greenpeace was giving um, uh, environmental report cards to different kind of media platforms and companies, um, and uh, you know, including you know, giving like Netflix a D. Um, and I started to follow up on. Uh, what are the causes of the electricity consumption of streaming and also more generally of um, the data centers and uh, storage and networks and also our computers and devices and uh, found out that it's taking a really huge uh, amount, a large percentage of global electricity, which, which uh, translates into a really big carbon footprint because most of these data centers, et cetera, are fed by fossil fuels. Mm. That's how I got into it. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that's what I meant at the beginning. This is the, really the first time I really thought about it. And you think we really should. Like, I think we have this perception that the internet, that it's just this thing that it's around us and we don't really understand like how it really works or but that it's hosted somewhere. All the I was watching a documentary last night uh, on Google and the amount of computers they had underground and underwater and, and, and all these storage areas. And then when you start to think about it, you're like, the amount of actual energy that has been put into this and of millions of people that are now streaming simultaneously, mm -hmm. that, that is a really big concern. Yeah, it's crazy. And I remember, you know, in the early days of the internet, right? not so early, but I think it was in the, like in the mid nineties, I remember hearing the statistic that um, one internet search uses the same amount of electricity as boiling a small kettle. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which is, you know, if you multiply that now, like even if you account for the fact that, um, the systems are a lot more efficient than they used to be. Um, still, that that is a that's a huge whack of kettles that we are all boiling all the time with our online activity. 
Yeah. It's so when we're talking about streaming, just so I think giving people like a grasp of what kind of is encompassed in that term, what are, what are we talking about? Like exactly what services, what uh, providers? Yeah. So streaming media is um, whenever you are watching video or also listening to audio um, and other kinds of video like um, uh, virtual reality and games, um, when you are uh, watching them online, streaming to your computer or your device or your TV, instead of downloading the file, that's streaming. So video on demand platforms like uh, Netflix and Crave, um, those use up more than a third of the um, electricity involved in streaming, um, according to the Shift Project. Uh, and then uh, pornography, streaming porn, uses up uh, almost 30% of and then uh, other streams on YouTube and other kinds of tubes. And then things like uh, TikTok and uh, video file streaming in, um, inside Facebook and inside any other application you use. Uh, and then streaming games. All mm. that stuff. When we're talking about the carbon footprint, I don't know if you have the data, but... Mm -hmm how much of you know all of this streaming like and it may be like a global percentage of like all the different things like what does it account for mm -hmm. on a global scale yeah the the figures are debated there's one figure that was um developed by this french nonprofit think tank called the shift project after their calculations they said that streaming media accounts for one percent of the world's carbon footprint, which is huge. Um, other people say, no, it's not as much as that. They're using, um, they're using the wrong figures. It's actually, I'm with a research team of uh, media scholars and engineers, and we're trying to calculate it exactly. But given that, um, I think a very solid estimate of, um, the energy, the carbon footprint of um, the uh, IT sector as a whole. So that's uh, all the data centers, servers, networks, and devices is a good 3%. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's actually reasonable to think that streaming media um, is um, one third of that. Because uh, as you know, video files are huge and they're getting huger. So I think 1% of the world's carbon footprint is, uh, is probably a pretty good estimate. Yeah, and to, you know, you hear 1%, you might not be thinking about like, oh yeah, that's not bad. But then when it, you combine that with everything else, it's like, oh no, that's <laughs> contributing a lot of carbon dioxide. Was, mm. did you become, you know, once the, I mentioned off the top, the pandemic, and that became the thing to do once we got stuck inside that people were, you know, engaging in that type of behavior even more so because we didn't have any choice. There was nothing else to do. Um, I remember even seeing reports that there was, um, people were like genuinely worried about would the, the infrastructure of our internet be able to withstand everybody streaming. 
Mm-hmm. Did, did that become like, did it kind of, did that accelerate the problem for you? Were you like, okay, like, did that make you become more worried and, and mm-hmm. or were you just, it, it kind of was like an even keel thing? And, um, uh, well, I mean, it, it uh, I mean, we already, we already suspected that that figure had nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this real spike in streaming, <clears throat> it's, um, there's no question that uh, all of our online activity is going to pre- produce a whole lot more, um, use a whole lot more electricity and produce a whole lot more global warming. So yeah, it's really worrisome. And I'm sure that that, that figure that might be 1% right now is uh, shooting up. So that even if people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not driving these days, uh, I'm certainly not flying anywhere. So I, um, it's actually not, it's not a good idea to say because I'm saving energy in other ways, um, uh, I can stream all I want. There's this, um, uh, this uh, phenomenon called the Jeevan's paradox, which is, when you introduce a new technology that's supposed to save energy, um, people actually adapt it in a way that they just use it more and more. So it ends up, ends up um, using more energy. Mm. So the Devon's <laughs> paradox is that very much in effect with streaming. Right. Um, have you, like, is this on our government's radar on, you know, people mm. who, kind of control that to the to the best mm. of your knowledge like are people other yeah. than you know you and your research team working on on this um, that's a really good question ryan um i think it is not i think the main thing that um our governments at all levels are hearing is that um uh we need to have more access to online media, especially for um, like rural people, um, uh, so that there's like a question of um, uh, inequity of access. And so that means that the more people who, who have tons of access, um, especially through the rolling out of 5G now, um, the more people like in urban centers have lots of online access the more activism, activism there's going to be for people from other parts of the country to say, oh, we need that stuff too. So that means that, you know, TELUS and Bell and all these many, many other companies are going to be rolling out, installing lots more cables, installing lots more of those nasty little 5G towers. So I really don't think that our governments are um, accounting for this rising carbon footprint, but it has to be part of the national energy plan if Canada is going to meet its um, um, Paris climate promise. Right, and when we talk about climate change, especially at a government level, it's it, we all kind of lump it into the same. Um, whereas, like, okay, so we're going to reduce um, the use of fossil fuels and driving, and and give people, you know, but like. But then, like you said, like then this is accelerating. So it's like almost mm-hmm. like it would offset all of our, our, uh, our efforts to do that and perhaps not yeah. even be able to reach the goals. Yeah, I mean, the, the ultimate goal of this, this research is to say, look, we have to switch, we have to stop using fossil fuels 
as soon as possible. Um, uh, and you, if that were the case, if, um, if uh, all of the energy we, we used was renewable, people could stream all they wanted in super high definition with, uh, with no problem at all. But uh, until that happens, we need to be aware that um, uh, the IT sector as a whole and uh, within it, um, streaming is um, really contributing to our, our carbon budget. Mm. So where did this idea of the small file media, media festival come in? Because this, the, the first year you did it, it was August 10th to 20th. Uh-huh. Um, you know, how did that all come about? And what, how did that kind of relate back to your research? Uh-huh. Well, a couple of different ways. I mean, first, you know, the, this news is such a downer and so unwelcome. And I thought, okay, what would be a fun way to, um, to allow people to contemplate the, this issue of the carbon footprint of streaming media? And I thought, well, let's have a festival. Um, and let's make a challenge to, to artists and filmmakers uh, of this amazing constraint of movies that are no more than five megabytes in size, which is, it's like the size of, you know, some photographs are five megabytes or like a small PDF file. Um, and another is that for my whole um, research career, I've always been interested in low res media and also in like so-called obsolete media. Um, and the, the beautiful things you can do with low resolution. And I've also, um, I'm one of the people who's always been critical of the, the, uh, the way media corporations are always trying to get us to upgrade our platforms um, and saying, oh, you don't want to use that old you know, Nokia phone. That's obsolete. You don't want to use your iPhone 4 throw that in the landfill and get a new one that you can, uh, you know, film in high, in the high definition on. So uh, kind of a political and aesthetic interest in um, small files and in the beauty of um, movies that are, you know, not necessarily resolution, but that do creative things to not take up a lot of space. It's the beauty of the small. Right. So, I mean, you have a fantastic website with, um, you know, lots of articles, you know, some things that you can, some wa- can watch. What, when we say low, you know, small media file and that low quality, what like mm-hmm. types of things were people submitting, um, you know, mm-hmm. to get a, con- like, was it like, can you actually do like an hour or is it more like five minutes? Like, mm-hmm. What does yeah. it kind of look like? I'll tell you, but first I want to give a shout out to the team because that amazing site was built by Joey Malbon, who's uh, uh, very knowledgeable about everything kind of crunchy and low tech. And um, the festival team also had a, has Sophia Biedka, who did all the, she's a filmmaker and did all the correspondence with the, the artists. And uh, Radek Shadpelsky, who's a media scholar like me, and Fauna Ibarra, who's a visual artist, and she was on the programming committee. And uh, Sanjana Karthik, who is our youth outreach coordinator. So that was the festival team. Um, so to answer your question, 
people did so many creative things. And we gave them a bunch of suggestions and they did, um, they came up with other things as well. Um, some of our suggestions were take the movie that you already have and just compress the bejesus out of it. So we suggested um, different compression algorithms that people can use. And, and Joey did, does a, a walkthrough on the site that's still published there. So anybody can go and follow, follow those examples using a handbrake, using any video converter and a couple of others. So that's one. Um, but that takes a lot of processing time, which in turn uses energy. Mm. Um, another, actually my favorite, I think this is my favorite, is to lower the frame rate. And I, I got this idea from the media artist Clint Enns. Because um, uh, the normal frame rate is 28 frames per second per video, I think. Um, but if you cut that in half to like 14 or 16, um, uh, it's, you can follow, follow it perfectly well, but there's a slightly ghostly quality to the movement and it's very poetic. Um, another great way to make a movie that doesn't take up much bandwidth is um, to combine still images and sound. You can have a super rich layered soundtrack um, that plays with the images. So that's great. Um, also, there's some techniques to make a movie look really good, um, even when it's compressed. And these are, because compression algorithms, if I can get uh, geeky about this for mm, a moment. Please. Um, so compression algorithms are looking for what changes, the, basically for changes in brightness from frame to frame, one kind of algorithm does. So that, so that is usually movement. So the more movement you have, um, the more, um, uh, the more the algorithm has to kind of account for that. And so when you compress an action movie, it looks really messy. Um, so some people um, made movies where where they have little movement or the camera moves smoothly and slowly. Um, and that, uh, that allows for a nice clear image even when it's compressed. And another trick is to not use deep focus because then you have to account for all the stuff you deep into the picture space. Instead, focus just on one picture plane and let the rest be out of focus. So that will look really nice in compression, things like that. It's, it's interesting and I can see where the, the, the art kind of takes into it and how you mm -hmm. can make it, you know, I think we're, we're all so used to as consumers, like you said, um, you know, 4K, Ultra HD and, I, and it's funny, like I'll go back and watch like old hockey replays from like the 2000s and I'm like, I can't believe I watched this and like thought it was like clear quality. Um, but when you put it into this perspective and, and lens under like art, um, that you can really make it, for lack of a better term right now that I can think of, like beautiful, that, and like you yeah, said, poetic, it it's, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. who, who were some of the, the, the filmmakers, the artists that were involved? 
Um, well, it was it was amazing. We we tried to make the call as international as possible, mm-hmm. even though of course we started with you know people and associations we knew. So there were submissions from I think from fifteen different countries and uh, all kinds of people. Some people are artists. Some people are kind of a, a gamer types, uh, filmmakers, environmentalists, uh, lots of different kinds of people. Um, I want to tell you about uh, uh, just one more example of it. And it's, I, you know, it's really hard to pick just one, but for one other example, there's this movie by somebody named Trevor Byrne in, I think he's in Los Angeles, um, called Sticky Note Studies. Uh, and it came from his, you know, it was always in the habit, like many of us, of covering his computer camera with a sticky note. And then he noticed that if he uh, um, put that sticky note on and took it off and sh- replaced it with a different color in quick succession and filmed that, you get this kind of abstract color film uh, with different light qualities. And actually when, when he compressed that, it gained all this texture. So um, it reminded me of some of the great avant-garde filmmakers from like the 1970s, like Paul Sharitz that Trevor had actually not heard of. But it's this like beautiful world of color. So that's just like one more example of a really creative um, scenario. Or somebody else, um, uh, a filmmaker from Cairo, I think his name is Hani Abu Rashid, but I might have that wrong. Um, he did a great thing of combining live action with um, Instagram filters, because which is really clever because Instagram filters are designed to be very simple and to not use up a lot of bandwidth. Just a couple of examples. I could give you so many more. Um, and I see the winner here was uh, Han. Oh, I don't, I don't even want to butcher that and embarrass myself once upon a time. Um, And then I see the sticky note. So you had like all awards and and everything. Can people go back and like watch these films uh, and check them out? Um, Are are they put anywhere? Uh, They, they will be able to, we, we ended the festival as promised on August 20th. Snooze you lose. Um, (laughs) But and that was because we paid a rental fee to all the filmmakers. Mm. Um, and that rental fee was only for a, a certain period of time. Um, and at, at uh, over 100 filmmakers, that was actually quite a lot of money. Uh, but we asked the film, the artist's permission to, uh, to link to their works after the festival was, was over. And most of them said yes. So pretty soon, when somebody visits smallfile.ca, they'll be able to see all of the programs that we designed. And um, within each program, they'll see a thumbnail for each movie. And in most cases, that will link to the movie. So that's going to be... They'll have a chance to see it. So we'll definitely make sure we update people once that comes out and... Uh... Yeah. And everything. Um, so if I was a YouTube creator. I, like I'm, 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 I make my money on content, but I'm also concerned about the the impact of you know my my video and my my content on 
on um, the streaming, you know, mm-hmm. are there things I can do on my end to, to, you know, upload the content, but still also contribute in a positive manner to, to mm-hmm. some of these issues we've been talking about? Yeah, that's a great question, Ryan. And there, there are plenty of ways. Like one, um, YouTube, it's okay to make YouTube movies that are not high resolution. Because most people are watching them on a phone or a computer screen. So there's not really much point in making your YouTubes HD. Um, so a YouTube creator could certainly follow uh, some of the suggestions that, that we have, like uh, using compression or sometimes using audio only to make you know, really effective, great YouTubes. Um, they could also, you know, what if, what if a YouTuber says, no, I want to have super high quality um, and I don't, well, it's not that I don't care about the, the footprint. They could pay carbon offsets. Hmm. Yeah, I've actually um, uh, started to pay carbon offsets, started to calculate my, um, monthly streaming budget and uh, pay offsets accordingly to um, one of the offset companies that mostly deals with um, flights, um, less.ca. It's a very small amount of money, but still. Uh, and of course, actually something else that we have thought of is a streaming acknowledgement, kind of like the land acknowledgement, the in- indigenous land mm. acknowledgement. To say, you know, I acknowledge that um, uh, streaming this program is, um, you know, depending on like where where the servers are housed, um, is going to be using fossil fuel generated uh, electricity and uh, contributing to global warming. I acknowledge this, and I promise to do, you know. Uh, you know, anti-pipeline activism or something mm. to compensate for it. You know, things like that. Because that, that was going to be to my next question. They're, you know, Gen Z, millennials, it's a, a complicated bunch. Um, I'm mm. one of them. But on one hand, I think we are, are very attuned to climate change. And, you know, we, we want that um, you know, we, we, we want to do something. So I think that's a good step. But at the same time, we are very, very, very picky when it comes to our content and the quality of our content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how would we go about changing this behavior? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's like a mutual, you know, like a agreement where we meet in the middle somehow, but like, cause it almost seems like, you can't have necessarily both unless until we have, like we eliminate fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, there, there are ways to make files that are smaller, that are still satisfying and beautiful. Mm. Um, and I think, I think it's really important to explore that and to just kind of, you know, deal with the fact that um, that we do have limited means, and it's just uh, another constraint to work within. And you can actually be proud to be making 
and streaming files that um, aren't going to use so much energy. Or, for example, um, you could try to stream a little less, try to spend a little bit less time on, I shouldn't say you, I should say we, uh, <laughs> spend a little less time on our devices and to enjoy that time more and uh, make it precious. Um, another thing is, if, you, if it's something that you're going to watch a lot of times, download it. Um, you know, really simple things, just a little bit of consciousness can lead to slight changes in behavior that's really not going to diminish our pleasure and could even add to our pleasure because it will become like more delicious. Yeah. I was watching, um, there's a new documentary out, uh, The Social Dilemma. And it was, I mean, just talking about things about social media, but I mean, this just adds to the, the ever-growing list of very good reasons that we should be spending less time mm-hmm. on our devices and on our phones mm-hmm. and, and TVs. And um, it's just so funny that how, it's not funny, but uh, that we we've become so reliant on these things and how actually potentially detrimental it is to not only our, our health, physical health, but like the world's health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting addition to the, you know, the things on the bad report card of um, media platforms. I mean, we know that platforms like, um, you know, uh, Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, um, they're all designed to be addictive. And you've probably heard that um, people who work in Silicon Valley don't allow their children to have Mm -hmm. uh, phones (laughs) because they know they they will get addicted and it will be really bad for their uh, physical and mental health. So um, to add... To add the fact that it's um, detrimental to the planet, you know, until such time as we're carbon uh, carbon neutral, um, this really means, and it doesn't mean that you must never, never, never stream. It, you know, I actually think of it as, um, you know, it's like uh, for the meat eaters, uh, it's like eating steak. You know, you don't have steak at every meal. You know, it's not good for you. and It's not good for the planet. You have it for a special occasion. Or it's like, um, you know, drinking your favorite alcoholic beverage. Um, If you don't do it quite so much, then it's better for your health and you uh, appreciate it more. Or like, you're basically a luxury, you know? Like uh, something that you really enjoy. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit bad for you, so you don't do it too much, but that way you enjoy it more. Do do you think that people will uh, respond to this kind of argument, Gen Z folks? I think, like I said, they climate change is a big deal for a lot of young people. Um, it's something they're very passionate about. You know, it ranks mm-hmm. up there just as much as you know human rights. And mm-hmm. you know, that we saw, before COVID, we saw all the protests and and mm-hmm. you know. Um, Greta Thunberg and mm-hmm. um, Autumn—I uh, uh, should remember this to your last name—but the the young First Nations woman from Canada mm-hmm. who also has been on the the world stage advocating. 
like I said at the start, this is something we do not think about. Um, no one's really told us. <laughs> um, I, I, I think in, in the back of my mind, I kind of knew, but when you, you know, again, once you, we, we started talking, I started doing some research on it. I'm like, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's just never at the top of their mind. And I think it, it might be a, like a sort of a, um, you know, a, a moral dilemma that people love it. You know, they're on their phones. They love TikTok. They love Netflix. They love streaming music. But they also love the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's why I loved you brought up some of those other initiatives that says, okay, you don't necessarily have to stop streaming, but here's some things you can do. Like, I, I've never heard that I could pay the, um, someone that would help offset my car- carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. That's just not common knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I use uh, less.ca and they, they seem to, yeah, I think they spend the money on, uh, you know, planting trees, which is something we could really use right now with all the forest fires and, you know, cleaning mm. plastic out of the oceans and stuff. So, you know, it's pretty good. And um, it, it, uh, it, it allows us to um, uh, enjoy streaming without feeling so guilty. Um, but another thing I'd say is uh, TikTok is a fantastic platform for small mile, small file movies. Mm. And TikToks, they already are small file movies. Um, but they're, especially because like people usually shoot them, like, you know, often like in an interior without a whole lot of depth of field. There's, they're really just, they're just like made to be small file movies. So um, if you would, if you just took a, took a moment or, you know, a few minutes to compress it before you sent it out, um, then you'd have this uh, gorgeous little movie that is probably like one-tenth of the file size. And that would make it cool. Like what I really want to do and what uh, all of us at the Small File Media Festival want to do is to make it stylish and cool and fun to use small file media. We're not saying don't stream. We're saying stream small files and um, you know, HD is so, you know, it's so last year. It's so last season. Um, you know, who needs 4K? Um, we're trying to make it uh, you know, cool to be like very light and um, uh, playful with our media. And, you know, that, that's the message I really want to get out there. You know, don't, don't try not to buy into the whole bigger is better ideology about media right that's a actually a fantastic point you're uh, that tiktok you know and you know vine back in a few years ago mm-hmm. and now instagram reels is kind of there snapchat yeah exactly. they're they're those are the popular mediums right i, I don't think a lot of young people I, I could be wrong but are sitting through too many longer forms of media or, or TV shows to an extent now um, mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of the, like they take part in TikTok and that it'd be interesting that if a company like TikTok could kind of jump on board something like you, that, like what you're putting together and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you have a giant media enterprise with a ton of reach, but you're all like, it, it kind of like makes sense because it, it relates to each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that—that that is a 
that's a goal for our project, you know, for the festival and also the other research I'm doing is to get um, uh, bigger and bigger companies to take notice. And you know, because of the kind of, you know, the kind of circles I move in, I'm starting with uh, artist-run centers mm -hmm. and uh, Vivo Media Arts Center here in Vancouver is going to be teaching workshops in small file production and um, sharing those with other artist-run centers and doing youth workshops. So it'll spread as a kind of grassroots movement. But um, I hope at a good point to also get the attention of some, like either a streaming corporation to say, hey, how about trying this? You know, actually other festivals have already, already expressed interest in, uh, in our style. Mm. Um, so yeah, it would be amazing to get a mega mega a mega media corporation uh, interested in small files. Mm -hmm. Like in some ways, it's against their interest. Mm. Um, not in always. In some, um, because you don't need a new uh, a new four K device, for example. So people might be hanging onto their phones for longer. And I need to say in a bracket that one of the biggest parts of this carbon footprint is actually the fact that people toss their phones so often. Um, the average like two year lifespan of a phone means that all the um, energy that goes into the production and disposal of those phones is a big part of that carbon footprint. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. If we could just hang on to our phones for longer, and if somebody could be really proud to say, oh, my phone here I've had since you know, 2016 and it's still going strong. And, um, uh, and if I can like open up this bracket just a little longer, um, I'll show you my Fairphone. You ever heard of the Fairphone? Oh, oh I don't have my video on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, see this? Okay. This is a phone called the Fairphone. It's made by a Dutch company. Can you read what that says when I open it up? Yeah, yours to open, yours to keep. Yeah, so it is a 100% recyclable phone. The idea is that all the components um, can be taken out and replaced. Um, so you basically never need to, um, you never need to get a new phone. Uh, and it's also made of conflict-free materials by uh, enfranchised workers, you know, whether it's in um, um, Nigeria or in China. Um, so yeah, that's another thing people can do. It's like, yeah, I really, I'm going to keep on streaming all I want, but I'm going to do it on a Fairphone. Um, and that way, and keep my carbon footprint small that way. Uh, yeah, so I got on such a tangent from what it. I was talking about that I forget what it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's such a good point too with, uh, with phones. I mean, that's a whole other podcast episode in itself where... Mm -hmm. You know, I was watching like a very, it was a very short video, which I guess is good, but um, it was talking about the the mineral mining uh, in mm -hmm. Africa, mm -hmm. then how it goes to China and you have, you know, mm -hmm. just all these kind of like cruel steps and exploitation of workers and, yeah. you know, all these different things mm -hmm. just to get to us, for us to be like, 
you know, as I throw it over my shoulder, like, okay, two years is up. I get a new phone now. It's going to be bigger. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There, there is a there's a lot of um, cruelty and exploitation built into most phones, uh, including coal tan mining, including the um, workers in the Chinese factories that uh, produce parts for Apple, where we've heard reports of uh, people committing suicide because of the working conditions. So, you know, that's another thing that is like a real bummer to think about but when there is an alternative um that's great so you could get a fair phone or uh you could at least hang on to your phone for as long as possible and and um it's actually kind of beautiful to like to like touch our our phone and think about all the people whose um whose life and labor went into it and it it connects us to those people and it would be nice for that to be something that we feel good about. Yeah. There's been so many times I've wanted to go back to just a flip phone. Mm-hmm. Um, not only for, you know, like these are all perfectly good reasons that I have to admit were not top of mind. It was more of like a mental health thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially watching that, that documentary I was watching last time, I'm like, ah, I got to get rid of this. But mm. it, what I find so fascinating about this conversation the topic and and researching into some of the work that you're doing is it really brings these two competing focuses we have as young people where one we are very driven consumers when it comes to technology you know i i bought an apple watch i have my phone you know like i i'm on a laptop in front of a computer um all these different things and then on the second as young people we are very in tune with social issues. We want human rights. We want equality. We want change for, you know, for climate change, all these different things for the environment. And it's almost like these two interests are competing right now under capitalism because it's almost like we can't have one without the other and and make it all work. And it's going to be really interesting the next couple of years. And I say interesting with air quotes on on where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah, well, it means, uh, you know, I find, you can, I, I teach um, students who are um, right out of high school, and I, I find them so smart and so aware and, um, you know, uh, and, you know, they take a, a little bit of knowledge and really run with it. It's like, you know, knowing, because, like, once you realize, yeah, yeah, these, these media co- corporations are trying to addict me in this kind of endless cycle. And the, uh, the media platform I use is completely material, you know, from my phone to, you know, to the data centers and everything else. Um, and uh, to become a little bit more discriminating um, and not let those media corporations just um, uh, drag us around and do their will, but uh, find um, find resistant practices. And I actually find that young people are really really good at that. Um, you know, find, finding hacks. And I, if we think that uh, you know hacking the media we use is um, 
uh, both a political and an environmentalist thing to do. And again, also stylish and fun. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody will be doing it. And then the older people will be like, oh, I want to be like those uh, stylish, fun kids with their small file media on their hacked phones. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I think that was great. <laughs> Do you know if there's any Canadian companies? Because um, I know you said that the, the Fairphone is Dutch. Like, is there... Canadian Canadian companies who are, are working sort of on this issue as well to make more ethically sourced sustainable products that we use like kind of every day. No, yeah, and I right, think um, the the thing we can look to in Canada is um, uh, is energy production and like. Um, what are the sources of the energy that uh, our devices and our um, data centers consume? So here in BC, for example, um, our energy is from 80% renewable sources, which is pretty great because um, most of that is coming from uh, big hydroelectric dams. Now they have tons of their own problems like um, you know, flooding, indigenous lands and you know bad for agricultural land and stuff um but they're not um uh churning out co2 so i think in canada it's not going to be as much the companies because they are all under the spell of 5g which you could do another podcast mm. on um it's not the um the media corporations or the, the telecoms in Canada, it's, um, it's the energy policies. So basically, if you live somewhere, actually, no, it, it's actually a little bit too complicated. Because like, if I'm here in Canada, but I'm streaming from an American platform like uh, Mubi, um, you know, that you know, my local server is going to be fed by mostly renewable energy, but the stream is going to be coming through a server that might be in um, Virginia or Washington State, which is, you know, coal powered. <laughs> mm. That's why, you know, like the energy politics of streaming are, are pretty, or the energy geography of streaming is pretty complicated. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that wasn't a short answer, but it's basically in Canada, it's about our energy sources. Um, yeah, more mm. than about our um, media, media and telecoms. Right. Um, I know, I know you, you got to get going to another meeting. So um, I, I do want to ask, is the, are you, so is the small, I know it just happened. We, we talked about the, you're going to be uploading links. Is that something that's going to be coming back? We can, we can look forward yes, to, yes. you know, next year. And yeah. how do people become in, more involved in, in this type of, this type uh -huh. of work if they're interested? Oh, they, they do. Yeah. It's, it was the first annual small file media festival. We've got huge plans, mm. huge small plans. In fact, we, I just met with the program team today. We, we came up with some new slogans. Uh, the Small File Media Festival. You'll love it to bits. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to this one. Small files make the planet smile. 
Isn't that nice? Love a so good we have plan. to have the, the second annual fest, uh, if only to like trot out our new slogans. But yes, indeed, we're going to have another Small File Media Festival next year. And uh, we'll be sending out the call for work yeah, probably in spring of 2021. Mm-hmm. And we're going to really amp up the, um, uh, the uh, call out to youth. Because um, I think, you know, Sanjana is of the opinion that um, uh, young people will be most interested in the festival if they actually have work in it or mm-hmm. if their friends have work in it. So we're going to have lots of youth. We're going to have um, uh, more narrative movies. We're going to have a binge-worthy category. Um, yeah, so the way to get involved, like in the meantime, you visit the site, look at the movies that are there, um, and there's some really wonderful ones. You start with the prize winners if you want, um, and uh, read some of the articles. And uh, we also have some really wonderful um, forums. We have the, the two makers forums. We have a small file aesthetics forum and the youth forum and also the award ceremony. Those are all up there. They're uh, compressed way down to super small files. So that's the way to find out more. Uh, yeah, and people can be uh, thinking about and practicing some of those techniques for making small files so that when it comes time, when we put out our call for work, uh, they can uh, they can send stuff in. And you know, we got so many, uh, so many submissions our first year uh, that I think, I really expect we're gonna get a lot and it's actually gonna be a bit competitive. But uh, I'm also hoping to start um, uh, uh, local local small file media festivals around the world because mm-hmm. um, we, we've got friends in uh, many different countries and yeah I just want it to be a global phenomenon well you know I, I look forward to it now that I've heard about it I heard all this information I look forward to checking it out for sure and following along with this work because again like I said off the top it's truly fascinating stuff and now i'm kind of like all in on on getting to know it so that's so great ryan um it's all at smallfile.ca all that good stuff it's so much fun to talk with you about it thanks for your wonderful questions oh thank you for your time i I appreciate it and shout out to sanjana that little brilliant woman she is Uh absolutely mind-blowing when i when i talked to her i was like Powerhouse. <laughs> when I'm 15, I was like, I was nowhere near this. So. <laughs> um, Dr. Laura Marks, thank you again. I really appreciate this conversation and uh, look forward to following your work and, and seeing the world change for sure. It's been a pleasure, Ryan. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.